We've got Ross coming. You you are the instigator of questions because <laughs> okay. you should have a lot of questions. You're you're you know you're about to go down that path and and your um, I mean you should have a lot of questions for Ross this morning. Do you have lots of questions? I do, and, and uh, this is like my digital notebook, right? Because okay. I can yeah. refer back to the, like you know great thing about podcast is this is gonna be out there so I don't even have to take notes about his answers. I can just listen back right. and get it word for word from the man himself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have you with us this morning. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, did we end up with a texting thing or are we just gonna do a Q&A at the end? Uh, I think Nathan's setting up that you guys, he'll put up a number and you can text oh. him. And if you have any questions and then He'll either read them out or post the questions up there, okay. and we'll be able to ask Ross some extra questions that we weren't able to think of on our own. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So well, Ross, why don't you join us? They're uh, just getting the box cast going, so we may be a moment or two before we're recorded. Is there any question you want to ask and you don't want it recorded? Oh, we haven't, we're not recording right now? Not quite yet. Are we recording audio? Oh, oh, we have. Okay. Oh, okay. We're all together then. Yeah. Ross, welcome this morning, and uh, it's good to have you with us, and thank you for uh, accepting our invitation. To, uh, that's really the hot seat. We should have put Ross in the middle. So that I was trying to just break you two up in case he starts butting heads. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on this time together as we, uh, we talk about a very important uh, topic. Heavenly Father, I just give thanks to you for these men who are here this morning and for those who will be listening in the future. And uh, you've given us this amazing pattern in Genesis of a man and a woman coming together under your creative hand. And uh, Father, there are times we are not always sure what we're doing. And every bit of help from your word and wisdom from your people is another opportunity to 
do this better. We thank you for marriage, Father, and for families and home. This ideal we have in our minds, in our heads of what we want, and, uh, and sometimes I feel like Paul in Romans when he said the good things I want to do, I don't always do them. And the things I don't want to do are the very things I find myself doing. And so as we talk about marriage this morning, would you guide this conversation? Would you lead us down a path that is uh, profitable? And would you bless the marriages that are represented here this morning? And so I pray these things in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Carrie? So, yeah, this is like a little bit of just Ross and I getting to know each other because we met like for two minutes in the hall. But uh, for myself and everyone else, what's your origin story? <laughs> so my origin story is I, I uh, originally from Mississauga, and I came to uh, Waterloo when I went to the University of Waterloo. I was there to study mechanical engineering, and it was my dream and desire to, to build and design race cars. And, uh, I was doing that at the university, a race car program there for a number of years, and it was a... Uh, and I was on my way to uh, be that engineer in the world when, when God got a hold of me uh, with, maybe we'll just use this, uh, when God got a hold of me with uh, the, the message of, uh, of our identity in Jesus and who I am in him and who he is in me. And I was so uh, overwhelmed by the love and the grace of God that I, I knew I had to go and share that with other people. And so in my mind, I figured that I would, you know, go on, be an engineer feather the nest, be successful, and then retire early, and then maybe begin to teach this. Uh, but about a year and a half into my engineering career, God says, I got something for you. And, uh, and so I took the opportunity, retired from engineering before I was 30, and uh, went into to ministry and started counseling people. And uh, I don't know if you know much about engineers, but engineers are not people people. Uh, engineers are great. You, you put them in a, in a room with a computer and they'll send you people to the moon and bring them back most of the time. Uh, whereas for, and I was like that. I was not a, per, a people people, but now I'm, I'm sitting across uh, a room from people who are going through deep struggles and deep hurts. Uh, but it was, it was really a great opportunity to help them understand the gospel, not just in terms of how they go to heaven one day, but how does the gospel apply today? How does the life of Jesus in us apply today. And so I've been, been doing that now for, for 18 years, uh, and I have the pleasure to meet all kinds of people from all around the world and, and really discover that, that people are people, regardless of your background, regardless where you're coming from. We're all looking for, for certain things in terms of looking to be loved, looking to be valued, looking to be important. And where do we go looking for it, and where do we find it? So you've been married for how long yourself? I didn't know that was going to be on the test here. <laughs> so it will be 20 years uh, next May. So I'm going to ask maybe one of the obvious questions that you would get. And because we've got guys like Ivan over here. He's old. He's got grandkids who are older than your marriage. And, uh, you know, in the book of Mark, uh, it talks about the youth that ran off naked into the night and people think that was John or John Mark me writing himself in the story. I think that was Ivan. That's how old that guy is. What, 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 like, what are your, I guess, bona fides? Like what, how do you, you know, as a younger guy, 
have the knowledge resources? How do you work with people who are much older than you? Because, uh, you know, obviously we have to have humility to learn from anybody. But I imagine that might be something that could be a typical struggle for, you know, someone comes into your office and you're like, that's the guy who's going to be talking to me? Yeah, that's a great question. When I, when I first started, I, uh, I had a real baby face, so I, I looked a lot younger uh, than I even was. And I'm told that will benefit me when I get older. But uh, I always knew people struggled with that because after meeting for the first time, at the very end, they would start to ask, so what are your qualifications? And, and that was a subtle way of saying, I think you're too young and don't know what you're talking about. Uh, which is not necessarily wrong, uh, but, but the reality was my answer to them was something along the lines of, uh, I, I know Jesus. And I, I, know, I know what Jesus is capable of. I know what Jesus can do. I know what he wants to do in your life. And, and so sort of kind of like what Paul's words to Timothy were, you know, don't, don't let people discard you for your youth. Uh, the, the wisdom I offer is not my own wisdom. Uh, it is from spending time in, in Father's Word and trying to understand what is Jesus wanting to do in our marriages. And, and that's what I had to offer people. Not my own experience, not my own wisdom, but rather uh, our Father's gospel, the good news. So as someone who's looking towards getting married and uh, getting ready to get engaged and all that, why should I do that? Because in our culture right now, I have lots of friends and people I know who, you know, marriage is old-fashioned. Why not just be with the people you want to be with and be, you know, I've got a cousin who just, marriage is just a piece of paper. I'm committed to you. Which is interesting because if, if you are committed, then why the fear of marriage? Uh, and because the, the reality is marriage is something more than just a piece of paper. It's more than just a, a ceremony or, or a, a symbol that people go through. It is, it is now entering into a, a covenant relationship. And, and I think that's something that, you know, largely in our, our Western society, we don't really understand covenant relationship very much. Um, and, and even less so as, as we go through time here. Uh, but there is something. There's something to be said about uh, how that honors the other person honors honors your wife to say to to her that I am I'm choosing you I'm offering myself to you whereas the reality is when you're only living together there is no commitment there there is a, a, an escape hatch very easily where you just walk away uh, with seemingly uh, or what appears to be very little cost to it uh, but the, the reality is God has designed that kind of relationship for within marriage and when we start to to muck around and try to do things our own way well, the proverb says that's the way of destruction, and so we want to follow God's ways and what He's saying to us, and and so He's the one that created marriage for our protection, not to constrain us, not to make life miserable for us, but really to to protect us in that kind of relationship. Stan, I mean, being a little more gray than I am, uh, you've probably seen marriage change and the culture around marriage change a lot more than I have. And I'm curious if there's any thoughts or questions you have about that, that Ross might be able to answer, um, you know, trends in marriage and why things have changed the way they have. And I'm not sure if you've got something specific that you can ask for that. But I just thought, you know, having pastored for how long, 
Well, certainly, certainly the, um, the number of couples that are looking at marriage as a direction and a path to follow are growing fewer and fewer. And what I hear is uh, it's just a piece of paper. So this idea of covenant is certainly um, not something that's ingrained or comes naturally. That's, that's I mean, we're, li- we're living in this post-Christian world that, that information has not been passed along. And so, and so it's just a piece of paper. Uh, I've already said I'm committed. It's going to make no difference whatsoever. And so that whole idea that it's just a piece of paper is, is, is very much ingrained. And yet the studies show couples who live together, much higher rate of divorce or separation afterward versus ones who have not. The whole idea of being chased before marriage is out the window and that even brings greater complications so given the message of the world given the climate in the church to really be quiet and not say a lot or speak into that what do you think is the number one stumbling block roadblock as a young couple maybe moves from that, living together, premarital sex, into, the, into this covenant thing, it's, it's, almost, it's almost cut and pasted together and kind of unnatural. What do you think is that biggest roadblock that they're facing? That's a good question. So when I, when I look around... Uh, the world and what the world's offering people and what they're teaching, even what I, what I thought when I was a young man about love. I remember hearing this definition of love, which was uh, you know you're in love with someone when you feel good about yourself when you're with that person. And I heard that and I thought, oh, that's brilliant. That's great. That's, that's a great test. I can, I can kind of examine that and uh, wrap my head around that. Uh, and it wasn't until many years later that I looked back on that and thought, boy, that's real selfish. That's real selfish because w- what's that all about? It's about me. Do, how do I feel? What am I getting out of it? And it was really just feed me, feed me, feed me. And, and the marriage relationship, the, the love relationship that, that God calls us to, really it's, it's in any relationship, uh, not, never mind just marriage, but in any relationship is not about me. It's about loving others. It's about offering my life and laying down my life for another person, and, and in particular, in a marriage. And so I, I think the, the biggest stumbling block or hurdle is to get around that idea that my spouse is not there to satisfy my needs, but rather I'm there as a vessel of Jesus to love them. So, so think about it this way. Um, go back to the garden, right? That's our, the very first marriage, Adam and Eve. Um, and God creates Adam first, and, and he looks at Adam, and what does, he, what does he declare? It's not good for man to be alone. So what's the very next thing he does? You would think he made Eve, but that's not what he did. Instead, what he does is he starts making animals. He makes two lions, and he brings the two lions and says, Adam, check it out, a male lion, female lion. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Let's make rhinos. Male rhino, female rhino. Isn't that interesting? You know, we need elephants. 
male elephant, female elephant, and on and on and on he goes. And now Adam, I think, was smarter than the average guy today, so eventually he clues in, and he's going one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Where's my two? Where's the one like me? And so finally, I think, so the whole creating the animals was just an object lesson for Adam to show Adam the need that he, he needs a second. He needs someone else like him. And so he puts Adam to sleep, removes a rib, and fashions. That's a beautiful word, fashions, right? I mean, making Adam was like making a snowball, packed it together, here you are. But when he made Eve, he fashioned her. He created this work of art, and he brings Eve to Adam. And what does Adam say? Not woe man, right? That's not what he says. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Isn't that romantic? I mean, Stan, when you go home tonight, you should try that. I mean, the girls just, just melt, right? I, I don't know if it rhymed in the original language or sounded more romantic, but essentially what he's saying is this is the one like me, and I'm receiving her. I'm accepting her. And then he goes off and he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and two shall become one flesh. Well, the reason isn't necessarily clear right in that passage. But if you fast forward now to Ephesians chapter 5, where we have a, a great passage on marriage. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul gives the marching orders for every single husband. Husbands, love your wives. Now, is that get love or give love? It's give love. How? As Christ loved the church. By laying down his life, by nourishing and cherishing and, and loving on her and caring for her. So give love to your wives. And he explains that in some detail. And then he quotes Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, and the two shall become one flesh. The reason wasn't to get love. It was to give love. Let me illustrate to you this way. Um, so, Claire, I was chatting with you earlier about your story. Let's say I gave you $10,000. Uh, let's go big. It's an illustration. Like a million dollars, right? Would that be a good thing for you to have a million dollars? Oh, good. I had, a, I had a couple people say no, and I had to remind them it's the love of money, not money that's root of evil, right? There's one catch, Claire, though. Uh, that, that million dollars you can't spend, invest, or give away. It's just going to sit on a pallet in the middle of your living room. How much value is that million dollars to you now? It's worth, actually, it's a negative now because it's just in the way, right? Money is only good if you can spend it, if you can use it. Well, how much love did Adam have before Eve? An infinite amount of love. It was from, from God. But he had no one to give that love to. And so God creates Eve not to be the one to love Adam. Do you see the mistake we've made there when that's the case? is now, now what we've done is we've made Eve our God. Because God meets my needs and Eve meets my needs. And the two of them are my gods and that's who I'm going to serve. And it's all about me, which really makes me God. But the reality was God was enough. And God now gave all that love to Adam, but he had no one to share that love with. So he creates Eve so Adam had someone to share love with. So God receive, God, God, Adam receives love from God and offers it to Eve. And Eve receives love from God and offers it to Adam. And so now you have in this marriage, you have a love that is shared, a love that is offered. But what we see in our world today is, I'll be with you as long as you love me. I'll be with you as long as I'm feeling okay. Which means the moment I'm not feeling love, the moment I'm not getting my needs met, well, then I can leave. 
I can go find someone else, someone else that will love me better. Someone, maybe they're a younger model, maybe they're a different person, maybe they're somewhere else, but I will find and get my needs met some other way. And, and marriage is not the place to get your needs met. Marriage is the covenant relationship where you get to love someone else and lay your life down for someone else. But then, but then time comes, and that's great, and I, I 100%. We started dating when I was 16 and she was 15. So we've been together 40, this will be our 49th year together. And, and it's, you know, it's like a, a pebble in your shoe. It's not annoying at first, but there are some things that she says, I, it re- I really annoy her. I don't see that. I think I'm pretty good. But there's some things in her that annoy me, too. And we found out, like, we thought, when we were first married, we thought, like, just hand and glove. I mean, I, mean, I thought, I mean, this girl, like, I, I, I lived right next door to my grandmother, and, and I thought, oh, she's really a lot like my grandma and all those. And, but then life happened, and we found out we were, like, opposites. Like, Ross, we, you cannot get two people who are more different than Lori and I. I say left, she says right. I say up, she says down. I, I like hot food. She likes very bland food. We have different opinions on everything. I mean everything, Ross. We only thing we agree on is Jesus and that we love each other. So how do you deal with those little grains of sand that start coming in and wearing because I see that so many times in marriages. By the time they hit our office or your office, it's like everybody's entrenched. So how do you stay out of that? I, I don't think you do. I, I, I think, to be honest, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never find someone that you don't have those issues with. Um, uh, little side story. I remember listening to a man named Jay Vernon McGee on the radio, and and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jay Vernon. Uh, he was a, a great Bible teacher, and he had a, a way of talking, which I don't do impersonations very well, so that's not how he sounded. But, um, but he was listening to himself on the radio, and a guy came up to him and said, Jay Vernon, why are you listening to yourself on the radio? And he says, this is the only guy on the radio I agree with. <laughs> and, and the reality is there's no one like you, and, and there's, there's always going to be differences. And and that's not bad. It's actually to your benefit. You see, those, those, that's, that, those grains of sand that we think are actually the, the things that we want to get rid of, they're the very things that God's using to polish us. That, that, very, that conflict that you're experiencing is the very thing that's, that's bringing us back to Jesus. But have you not watched Sleepless in Seattle, Ross? <laughs> have you not watched? I mean, like the soulmate, the person that completes you, you autumn, I mean, you wake up in the morning with good breath and nice hair and you look at each other. Like, isn't that the way it's supposed to be, Ross? But did you hear the lie? The person that completes you. Right? Colossians 2 says we're complete in Christ. That's the one. So, so let's go back again to the Garden of Genesis, right? The Garden in Genesis. I, and I keep, I keep coming back to that with the people I work with because in Genesis chapters 1 through 4, man, that explains our problem. But it also explains our solution. So Adam and Eve, they, they've sinned. And, and again, what's interesting is the reaction, right? The very first reaction is, is as soon as they eat, they realize they're naked. And what do they do? They hide. Who are they hiding from? A lot of people say God. And that's true later. 
the first thing they do is they start hiding from each other. So those fig leaves they're sowing, they're hiding from each other because of that insecurity and that shame and now all the internal struggle that's going on inside of them because they've been disconnected, separated from that life in Jesus, life in God. And so now Adam's looking at Eve thinking, am I okay? Am I strong enough? Am I man enough? Am I, am I big enough? Is she, she going to respect me? Man, I, I see all my flaws. I see all my shortcomings. I can't let her see those things because she ever knew what I know about me, she'll kick me out. Shame has entered into the story. And Eve's thinking all the same things about herself. And so they sew together these fig leaves to hide from one another now. Now God shows up and he pulls them together and immediately you see Adam blaming Eve and God for what happened, right? This woman that you gave me, by the way, I'm innocent, trying to protect himself. And, and there, you just see the devastation of the fall, which then leads to what we call the curse. But I don't know if it was a curse as much as it was a blessing. Because if you read the curse, he doesn't actually curse Adam and Eve. He curses the ground that Adam's going to work. Well, why would God make the ground, add toil to the ground? Why would he make it so difficult? Well, because he understands men. Men were goal-oriented, amen? Right? There was a, there was a mission, eat the food, right? That, that's what we did, focused on that. And, you know, we, we, we see a goal, we attack the goal. And when, you're, when you see a pretty girl, she becomes the goal. And you pursue her, and you date her, and you romance her, and you woo her, and you put the ring on the finger, and then the goal is accomplished. Check. Now you have a new goal. And the new goal is provide for the wife, provide for the family. And so our minds now shift from the relationship to our careers, our jobs. And so many men now find their value and their worth in their careers. And so what does God do? He adds toil to the ground, to the garden, to the work, so that no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you struggle in your job, it will never be enough. It'll never work. It'll never satisfy that sense of worth and purpose because it's insufficient. Your job can't be God. Well, to Eve, he says, I'm going to add pain to the childbearing. And, and I think it's more than just the labor and delivery part, because every woman I've ever spoken to on it says the 18-plus years of raising the kids is much harder than the even 18 hours or more in labor. Because it's a, it might be intense, but it's momentary compared to a lifetime. Now, why would God make it difficult to raise kids? Well, where do a lot of women get their identity and worth from? Being a mom. So he's adding conflict there. Why? Because if it ever worked, if they ever found life there, they wouldn't need God. So he's adding conflict in our jobs, conflict in our, in our in pain in our, in our relationships with raising kids to drive us back to Jesus. But then he says to, the, to, to Eve about the relationship, he says, I'm going to make the head, uh, husband, he's going to be the head of the home, and your desire will be for him. Now that word desire is used three times in the, book, in, in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Once here in Genesis, another time in Song of Solomon, also in Genesis 4, 7, talking about sin and sin's desire for Cain, for us. Well, what's sin's desire? To control us. So let's put that back in Genesis 3, and what do we see? We see God saying, the husband, he's going to rule over you, but your desire is going to be to try to control him. I had one lady, she said this to me. He goes, men are the head of the home, but the women are the neck. And the neck gets to decide where the head looks. Do you see the conflict there? So why is there conflict? Well, God put the conflict in there, again, to drive us back to him, 
And, and so that, that sand, that grit, is a great illustration because you think about polishing a gem. What do you need? You need some grit. If it was completely smooth, you'd never polish it. You'd never smooth it out. And guess what, guys? Some of you got some, some sanding to do. Some of you need a bit more than sand. You might need a jackhammer, uh, a sandblaster maybe, right? We need some work done on us as we grow and mature. And so what do you see? You see, you see two people, one who is always early, right? I mean, when, when they show up, you know, 15 minutes early, they're actually a little late, right? So they got to be punctual, on time for everything. And they marry the person who is always late. I don't know if that... Did my wife call you? <laughs> well, I was going to say for you, Carrie, because you're, you're, you're dating a Colombian lady. Have you heard about Colombian time yet? Yeah. Right? So, so you're going to be, you know, the, you, the, that person marries a person who's going to be late to their own funeral sort of idea. Well, why does God bring these two together? To, to, to knock off some of those sharp edges in both of them. That, you know what, the person who's always on time, it, it's not about that. There's things more important than punctuality. At the same time, the person who's late to everything, you know, it is important to show respect and to honor other people. And so you're going to find that person then begins to move closer towards what's healthy. Or you have the neat freak marries the messy person, right? And all of these different things in order to bring them together to help us mature in our faith. Because it's about trusting Jesus, not about finding this perfect life here in this world. So one of the things that's been going on that a, friend, a few friends and I from Bible college have been talking about and noticing is a bunch of the people we went to school with, their marriages are just falling apart. Like, and it's just all of a sudden been happening recently, just one after the other. And someone who's going into marriage, maybe I'm different, but I don't think I am. But I'm going in like, no, uh, we're going to make this. Like, you know, whatever comes our way, this, we made this decision. We're sticking with it. But apparently that doesn't always happen. I don't know if people had doubts going in or like some doubts like it would be natural. But what, how do you catch this stuff before to work on these problems before they become, I guess, unsolvable problems? It seems irreconcilable differences or whatever. Uh, because I can't even picture how that was possible, but obviously it is. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that phrase, irreconcilable differences, uh, there's no such thing with Jesus. I mean, think about it. Your, your sin, the, all of sin of the world wasn't enough for Jesus to bridge the gap. And so there's, there's no irreconcilable differences that Jesus can't bridge that gap between. And as to, I can't speak to your friends, the specific issues, what, what's going on there, um, but when, what I've seen in the you know, 18 years plus of counseling that I've been doing in marriages is what it comes down to is it's selfish issues that they have two people that are self-centered. Now, they may not see it that way, but that's exactly what's going on there. Uh, for example, in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, it, it, Paul lists the, the deeds of the flesh. What does the flesh look like? And it looks like immoralities, impurities, sensualities, alcoholism, drugs, uh, outbursts of anger, envy, country music, all those things, right? That it's there. It is there if you look at it. And things like these, right? So that's the country music part. So, so if you think about these marriages and why they're breaking down and why they're struggling, you could probably point to that list. Now, here's the mistake we make. 
oh, husband and wife, you guys are having anger issues. You're not being able to communicate. We're going to try to work on your anger. Well, the anger is just a symptom. I mean, think about it. You go see the doctor, and you have a brain tumor, and they know you have a brain tumor. And because of that brain tumor, you got blurry vision, and you you're lost your balance. You're kind of dizzy, and you got headaches. And the doctor says, well, listen, I can take care of that. We're going to give you some Tylenol for the headaches. We're going to give you a new set of glasses for the blurry vision. And we'll give you a cane to help you with your dizziness. And off you go on your way. What kind of a doctor is that? It's a bad doctor. Why? Because the doctor's only treating the symptoms. What does the doctor need to do? Need to treat the source of the problem, which is the tumor. Well, the deeds of the flesh are the symptoms. We could translate as the symptoms of the flesh are immoralities, impurities, sensualities, and so forth. The problem is the flesh. The flesh is too dominant in the life of that person and is coming out in the marriage. And, and again, it goes back to that sandpaper. That's where the marriage is the greatest gift. And that's what I would, I would try to convey to your friends is that the conflict they're in right now is it's not pretty. It's pretty ugly, but it's exposing what the flesh looks like in them. They're getting to see what it looks like in them. And God's trying to teach them to not trust in themselves. Because here's the thing. Again, go back to Ephesians 5.25. What's the commandment God gives husbands? Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loves the church. Think about it. What chance does pastor Stan with all of his experience, what chance does Stan have at loving his wife the way that Christ loved the church? Nothing. Zero chance. And that's not a comment on his wife. It's a comment on Stan. Stan is an absolute failure when it comes to loving his wife. Can't do it. Not the way that Christ wants to. Instead, God's not asking Stan to do it. What God's done, and this is the incredible message, God has put his very life inside of Stan. Christ is in Stan. Isn't that beautiful? This is Christ in Stan right here. And Christ living in Stan wants to love his wife through him. All he's asking now is for Stan to trust him. Because the reality is, apart from Jesus, how much can Stan do? Nothing. Not even love his wonderful wife. And so the conflict that they're experiencing in their marriage is God trying to show to them the insufficiency, the inability of their flesh, to lead them into a, a much deeper dependent relationship on Jesus so Christ in them can love their spouse. And it doesn't matter the division. It doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter what's gone on in their background. Jesus is enough to bridge that gap. And what am I supposed to do, or any of us, when friends are going through these things? Well, I think you, you know, the first thing you do is, is you listen. And that is, that is an incredible gift um, because it conveys that, that you're actually hearing the person. And uh, too often, especially as men, I think we want to jump to fix. And, and I think it starts with listening to understand what's going on. And, and for me, as a counselor, what I'm trying to do in that listening is I'm trying to figure out where is God working? Right? I mean, because is God working in a troubled marriage? Yeah. I have great hope in Romans 8, 28, where it says that God is using all things for my good. Not just the good things, not just the fun things, not just the pleasant things. He's using the all things in my life 
especially the difficult things. For what purpose? Well, verse 29, to conform me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so what I would be trying to help these people with is then try to figure out where is God working and, and try to help them understand, well, what's God saying to you? Try to point them back to Jesus and the fact that Jesus in them is enough. Um, and, and sometimes as a friend, that's effective. Sometimes as a friend, that's not what they want from a friend. And, and that's where you have the advantage of a pastor or a counselor, someone who is a little bit more revo- removed and could be a bit more objective to say some of those, those harder things that, that sometimes need to be said that is, is not, not necessarily personal, but now has that more of that removed perspective. That's, that's, and that's good, Ross, but sometimes... Lori and I have these things that she calls conversations. They don't really feel like conversations from my end. I, they feel more like fights to me, but to her, it's just this great conversation that we're having. And, and I'm, I'm a guy, like, so if you do Peterson's personality, I'm high on avoidance. I don't like fights. I like everybody to get along. I like peace in the household. And so... He also says that, the, you know, do you spend two months working through something, not violently, wrong word, vehemently or passionately, there's the word I'm looking for, and then come to resolve, or do you want to live the rest of your life with those, st- those things floating around in the background, round and round she goes. So do you have something like Muffler Man puts on, like a spring tune-up for like, $299 and we check your breaks and like where does counseling come in and how do you know where when you need it is there such a thing as is is going once a year for kind of a maintenance like how are we doing as a couple thing like give me some of your thoughts there uh, I mean potentially I, I know for me like people come and, and they want premarital counseling and, and so here's my, my view and take on it. I think it's good and it's helpful to a point. And, and what I mean by that is at that moment that you're, you're getting ready to walk down the aisle, for the majority, chances are you're in paradise. You're in love. Birds are tweeting. Even on rainy days, it's a little bit sunnier. I mean, everything's just exciting. And, and you love this person. And you look at the older couples and think, well, that's not going to be us. You know, we're not going to struggle because we actually love each other. And, and I look at them and I think, you don't get it. And that's okay. How can you? Because you haven't yet experienced it. Right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the great thing about, about experience is it's, it's the number one teacher. Like, I remember when, when my wife was pregnant with, the, with our first child, I figured if any guy had any chance at understanding what it was like to be with a pregnant woman, it was me because my mom was a neonatal nurse. She was a, she was a lactation consultant. She was a, a midwife at one point. So we had all kinds of pregnant lady stuff around the house. So I, I figured by sheer osmosis, I would understand what it was like to live with a pregnant woman. Until my wife got pregnant, you know what I discovered? I had no idea. None until you experience it. And the same thing is true with marriage, is, is you could try to prepare people for it, but until they're there, until they're in it, they just, they don't know. So here's my goal when it comes to premarital counseling. My goal is to develop a relationship with you so that when the trouble hits, you know who you can go ask for help. 
And, and so that could be true of a counselor. It might be true of some older couples. And, and I've heard of, of young couples being wise and seeking out older couples that have healthy, strong relationships. Not that they're perfect, but have healthy, strong relationships. And they, they have them as mentors. And, and we see that in the scriptures, right, where the older are to teach the younger. And, and so whether that's in couples or whether you have that, that um, uh, have a counselor. I, I had a couple come to me one time where they just wanted that. They very much, husband said to the wife, I think we need a tune-up. And she thought, this is great. I would love to have that. And they came and we met a few times and, and we talked about some general concepts in marriage and, and they were able to apply that. And then six months later, the bottom fell out in the relationship. And, and suddenly now he was having a crisis of faith and he was struggling in the marriage and didn't know if he wanted to stay or not. But now they had a relationship with me where they were able to come back and we were able to walk them through that time. And it was the most difficult time in their lives. At the same time, it was the, it was the most fruitful time in their lives because they both learned to discover the life in Jesus and trusting that life in Jesus that they hadn't yet realized or understood. Up to that point, they were just trying to improve their flesh, make it look good in marriage, and it was not satisfying, which is why they were thinking about ending it. But they go through that difficulty, and they found something richer, which is Jesus Christ in, in the conflict. So we're getting more and more multicultural here, and then I'm jumping into a multicultural marriage too, and Claire and I have had discussions about multicultural marriage because uh, he's in one, and you told me, uh, I think it was even on a podcast, that of like there's a whole group of you guys who got married to someone from another culture, and you're the only one or one of the only ones who made it. And how do you counsel people in those? Because like my family and a Canadian girl's family have a different culture, too, but some for whatever reason there's this whole it's a whole different ball game when it's another country yeah. it seems like yeah that's a great point and i mean like you said you, you the moment you invite another person with another family another set of traditions and stuff that that already is a bit of a cultural divide but at least you have a basis of culture here in canada uh, so myself my, my wife she she grew up in colombia uh, and she's of, of British origin, so she's a true British Colombian, I tell people. And, um, and then, but on top of that, her dad's Dutch, her mom's Scottish. Uh, they spent some time in Nigeria, uh, her, her mom did, and in um, Luxembourg, her dad, and all over the place. And so, uh, and then she's a missionary kid, which means that she doesn't know if she's British or if she's, she's Latin or anything. She's something in between. And so when she first came up to, to Canada, uh, it was hard. Uh, we would be with friends, and you play board games, and it'd be like cultural references. And she's like, "I, I don't know what that means." Um, uh, she would, uh, she was fully bilingual, but, uh, but her English was still. I mean, it, it, it was her mother tongue, but she still was trying to grasp some of the language. And so I remember one time she said to a friend that, "Oh, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so ditzy." And she thought ditzy meant light and free and fun, and and apparently it doesn't. To her, she found out. And, and she was like, I'm not trying to insult you. But it was, again, that was that cultural background, that cultural divide. And, and I think what, what happens then is, is it, it will require more, more patience and more, more listening, more understanding, um, and, and more grace to know that, uh, for example, your wife will, will miss certain things. 
Uh, I know from my wife, for example, uh, she would struggle particularly around New Year's. So New Year's here in Canada, everyone's indoors because it's cold outside and, you know, 10, 12 o'clock comes, ball drops, uh, you know, give a kiss to your loved one, and then it's kind of over. Well, in Colombia, man, it's just getting ramped up at that point. Fireworks are going off, dancing's happening, people are up to 4, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, eating and families, and that was hard for her then because it was so different. And, and some of those things are, you don't know those differences are there until they're there, until you realize they're there. And, and so that adds to the complexity and adds to the difficulty. But what you're, you're not trying to, to conform her to become Canadian. You're trying to create your own unique culture, your own family with different traditions that will be some Colombian and some Canadian. And, uh, and it'll be exciting. Cool. I've got a friend who I told him I was going to be talking today. One of the questions he wanted to know is, what is the difference between a good marriage and a great marriage? <laughs> you know what, what first comes to my mind is when uh, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's Jesus. That's God. And so, I, I, you know, I, I kind of think what, what the world would say is good would say uh, there's no conflict. You've got 2.2 kids, white picket fence. Uh, everyone's, you know, healthy and and, and it good retirement package and so forth. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's good because let's, let's fast forward 100 years. Where's all of that? It's gone. So what's good or what, what makes a great marriage, I think, are two people who love Jesus and want to see Jesus living in them. And, and, and I mean, you think about the, the famous uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, right, where it talks about a, a core to two, or having, you know, having that partner and how important it is, but then you have a cord of three isn't easily broken. And so having that, that awareness and that determination that we've got Jesus. And I think about all the struggles that my wife and I have been through, and, and we've, we've been through a lot um, in terms of, you know, moving her out of Columbia up into Canada, and we've got five kids, you know, in seven years, and, and all kinds of other stuff that's gone on. The, the one thing that's really kind of helped keep us going forward and in the same direction is, but God. What's God saying to you? What's God doing? How can we trust him? And it keeps coming back to Jesus. What are uh, just two or a couple typical things that men should avoid and women should avoid? I'm guessing you've got a lot of the similar things come up a lot in your counseling practice. Um. Well, I'll say this. What men should avoid is uh, fixing. And that's hard because, especially for me as an engineer, uh, I see problem. It just the instinct is fix. Analyze, fix, come up with a solution, and everyone's happy. And yet that's not what my wife wants. I don't understand it. I don't get that. But that's not what she's looking for. What she's looking for is, do I love her? And, and do, I, do I see her as a problem to fix? Or am I willing to love her even with the problem? And so what I've kind of learned to do is, um, is I've learned just to listen and, 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 and try to understand and ask questions. And sometimes that's it. That resolves the angst. That resolves the issue in her head. And she's good. And other times she's looking at me going, well, and I'm like, oh, would, would you want some 
some thoughts on this. And she invites me now to offer some suggestions that may or may not work, but I've learned not to try immediately just fix things. Uh, in terms of, of women, what women need to know is, um, is that men, men are looking for something other than love. Men are looking for respect. And, and, and I say that because, you know, you think about your, your job, your workplace, if your boss pulls you into his office and he says, I want you to know I really love you, how are you feeling? A little weird, looking for exits, uh, right? You're, you're wondering about HR and lawsuits at this point, Me Too, right? Like, it's not safe, right? But if the boss pulls you into the office and says, listen, I really respect the work you're doing, man, you feel good. You feel like on top of the world now and ask, ready to ask for a raise, right? Because that's what men are looking for. Men are wired for respect. And, and I make that distinction because, you know, in, in a few months, it'll be Valentine's Day again. I think it's on February 14th this year, right? Is that right? So, so on Valentine's Day, when it comes around and, and you, you buy a card for your wife, it says, I love you on the card. But then the wife buys one for the husband. What does it say? I love you. And, and our, our world is sort of trying to make men and women the same. And so if women want to be loved, then that's what men need. And, and yes, they need to be loved, but that's not the primary thing they're looking for. They're looking for respect. And so I, I make that point because then what ha happens often in, in marriages is women become now, they become critical. And they start to run their man down with their words. And so Proverbs talks about how it's better to live on the corner of a tin roof than to live with a nagging wife. And, and the reason for that is that that contentious, critical, run-you-down wife is eating away at that sense of value and significance. And the world already does that. And so the best thing that that wife can do is, is build your man up. Encourage him with words of affirmation. And especially uh, because, the, and, and here's one, one thing I want to say with all you guys here and all the guys listening on the podcast here, is as men we play an irreplaceable role. Go, go quickly Google and look up stats. What happens in fatherless homes? Majority of the people in prison, men and women, are there because they didn't have fathers at home. Majority of people who are poor or pregnant outside of marriage are because they came from fatherless homes. We are going through a, an epidemic of fatherlessness in our world, and it's because men are passive. Men are, are backing away. And so we had that great verse from 1 Corinthians 16 where it says, Paul encourages these men, act like men. Because that's what this world needs. It needs strong men. Now, unfortunately, the narrative in this world has said, well, not, strong men is toxic masculinity, and that's patriarchy, and that's the problem. When the reality is, strong men is the solution. Strong men encourage and empower strong women. And strong women encourage and empower strong men. But when we get weak men, weak men now need weak women, and weak women need weak men. And now that opens us up to all kinds of tyranny. And, and so what women can do, back to that idea of respect, is building your man up helps to encourage him to be that strong man, which is what this world really needs. We got two questions that were texted in. When your interests divide, how do you go about finding mutual interests? Well, I, I think um, that's, a, again, the, the beauty of the relationship. And it will change and will grow. I mean, if you think about the... Uh, the mistake a lot of men make is they marry the girl thinking she'll never change, 
that's immature. Of course she's going to change. But the mistake women make is she, they marry the man thinking of what he may become one day. And that's immature because now you're trying to control and change him. And, and so the reality is the person you're marrying, you're going to grow with. And you may discover certain things, and they're going to discover certain things that are going to be different. And there might be, it might be okay that there are times where you, you go off to do certain things. And so, for example, uh, maybe, you know, in my case, my wife, she, she kind of discovered uh, sometime into our marriage how much she loved the arts in terms of pottery and painting and so forth. And so that's a hobby that, that she goes off and does. And, and you don't want me doing that stuff, right? It's just not my wheelhouse. Uh, but for me, I, I kind of discovered later on my love for outdoor stuff. And, and one day I look forward to maybe going hunting and so forth. But maybe that's not something she wants to be involved in. And so it's okay that, that she has times where she's doing those things and it's okay for me to go off and, and do my things. Because in, in that sense, both of us are able to slip off into a time away where it's just Jesus and us. Jesus and me and Jesus and her. Because again, he's at the center of all that. But then it's important to come back and have things that are shared interests, shared goals. Maybe that's in terms of traveling, or maybe that's in terms of a, a particular hobby. Maybe you, you, you like to run together or, or uh, exercise or play squash or, or watch movies or whatever it is. But having those shared interests is good. So it's, it's good to celebrate both. And what do you do if one of the parties is acting like Christ and the other one is not? Well... Father's Word addresses this in 1 Peter 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 1, Peter, Peter addresses to, to the wife in particular, says to the, to the one who's living with a disobedient man. So often we've interpreted that as living with an unbeliever, which may be the case, but the fact that I think he's using that word disobedient, I think it's saying, actually, you're married to someone who is a believer, who is a, a, a Christian, but they're not trusting Jesus. And so what are the instructions there? Show respect. That the idea being that he may be one. It's not guaranteed because you can't control it. It's not manipulation. But that he may be one by observing your chaste and respectful behavior. And, and so the reality is, if, if you're the one that's, that is that trusting Jesus, he will give you the grace to continue to show that unconditional love and respect. Uh, this one author, Emerson Egrets, he's got this, this book out there called Love and Respect, and does a great job trying to delineate the difference between love and respect, and he talks about this crazy cycle where the husband's supposed to show love to the wife, and the wife's supposed to show respect to the husband, and it's supposed to kind of create this, this, um, this perpetual cycle in a sense, right, where Jesus is at the center of all that. But inevitably what happens is one stops showing love or one stops showing respect. doesn't matter who one, who, which one starts it, but then the other one stops showing love or respect which now feeds into now conditional love and conditional respect, which then eventually becomes no love and no respect. And that's what he calls the crazy cycle. And I love how he puts it. He says, if you want to break the crazy cycle, then start showing love. Start showing respect. Let you be the agent of change. Be the mature one. But if you want to be the immature one, then wait for the other person to act. And I love how he put it there because it's now, if, if you're trusting Jesus, you have the opportunity to begin to bring change. Nathan texted me this one. He, he mentioned that it was from him, so I think he wanted you to know that this was his question. He wanted everyone to know. He wanted the honor and the glory here. I, I wanted to talk about irreconcilable differences again. I, I take that back about there being no, 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 I'm kidding. He said, uh, Verity Church refers people to Crossways to Life. We love the ministry there. Would you t just take one minute and talk about Crossways and your ministry there? Who would be the type of people that will come to you for help? 
Yeah, well, thanks, Nathan, for that. Uh, so, so Crossways are, um, we, we do counseling, but in many ways what we're trying to do is help people understand the, how the gospel applies in this situation they're in, in that moment of crisis. And again, we, we look at a crisis as the opportunity that God's working in them. I often think about um, in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about being sent to Asia. He had an open door, he talks about, and this opportunity to go to Asia to preach the gospel. And he was expecting that it was going to be one of those, I preached the gospel and 5,000 people were baptized. Next day I preached the gospel and 3,000 people were baptized. He was expecting open doors all over the place. But what he found was it was miserable. So in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he writes that, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the hardships and the trials that we endured. It was beyond what we could bear. And notice what he said there. God gave him a trial that was more than what he could handle. And I, I mention that because there's a teaching in the church today that says that, that at least God won't give you more than you can handle. And that's just not there. It's not in the Scripture. In fact, the opposite is taught. God will often give you more than you can handle because he doesn't want you to handle it. And so in this case here, for Paul and, and Timothy and, and Silas, they were in a point where it was more than they could handle that they were despairing of life, even to the point of death. They wanted to die. They wanted to kill themselves. That's how bad it was. From That's how depressed it was for them. But he says, but this happened, verse 9, that we might learn not to trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. So the crisis that God sent them to in Asia, it wasn't so that Paul would change Asia, but so that Asia would change Paul. That the crisis would do a work in their lives. And so for, for us at Crossways, what we're trying to do is understand what is God doing in you? And so really, who do you send is anyone who's interested in discovering what God is up to in the midst of your crisis. Whether it be marriage related, maybe it's with a child, maybe it's with a sin or addiction or, or past traumas or other mental health issues, God is always at work. And what we want to help you discover is, is who you are in Jesus as a result of the cross, but also now who Jesus is in you as he's, as he's manifesting and living that life through us. Well, Ross, thanks so much for being with us this morning. I think we need another podcast. Um, you know, in a bit, we'll uh, maybe get you into one of our regular podcasts because you've just kind of like scratched the surface here. And uh, so thank you so much for uh, being with us today. Make sure that uh, you greet Ross. And uh, uh, do you have cards with you? If I, I do, yep. You've got some yep. cards with you if you yourself or know others who may uh, be able to uh, use... Uh, what Crossways offers. Um, we just, uh, again, thank you for blessing us this morning. Um, Carrie, um, I guess that's, do we have any other podcasts that are in the bin or anything that's new that's come out lately? Or uh, Just had, there's just been one with Steve and Rachel Wiseman that came out a week or so ago. And then I've been slowly uh, putting some up, working through, a book on the martyrdoms of the apostles and doing an episode for apostle well thanks for joining us this morning guys and uh